I'm going to kind of begin here and share some other things with you. Um, in Luke chapter 2, by the way, as you're turning there, one government official this week proposed uh, a app where, and I, I don't have the exact quote, oh, a businessman and former presidential candidate, Andrew Young, he said uh, he encountered some criticism on Friday after he suggested that Americans should have a downloadable barcode app that verifies they've received the coronavirus vaccine. Um, it's crazy. Um, stuff just heads in the direction. We'll talk about that in a little more in a minute. Can you imagine that? You know, anyway. So let me get to the Christmas story. This is the good stuff as we move forward because this is the time of year when everybody kind of begins to change. They get what they call the spirit of Christmas. Y'all, y'all, you know, the spirit of Christmas. They want to be kind to one another. Whereas normally you're in Walmart with them and they, they all bumping you in line and being that. And then they want to be nice and stuff like that. And uh, most don't even think about the, uh, and definitely do not focus on celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And of those who think about that, they are content to leave Jesus as a baby in a manger or maybe a toddler sitting on his mother's lap, which is uh, often really the worship of the Babylonian queen of heaven, Samaramis, as I've been sharing with you in uh, Revelation and her child, Tammuz, of which um, Mary has shamefully by some been made into uh, through their practices of worshiping Mary. We've been talking about that stuff in Revelation. But for those of us who worship God in spirit and in truth, we give thanks to the child who was born, but who also became a man. And that man died on the cross for our sin. That man was buried in the tomb. And that man rose again on the third day from the grave in victory, according to the scriptures. And only through faith in him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, can one receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life with God. Amen? Amen. And so we don't leave him in the manger, even though we're going to see him there today in the Christmas story. But Satan also knows this, and this is why Satan hates life, and Satan has massacred many through his hatred of Jesus Christ and the promise of the seed of the woman all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, of that seed coming who would destroy him and his work. Um, and those, uh, and he hates him, Satan hates Jesus and he hates those whom Jesus loves. And this is why we see all the way back in the book of Genesis, his, uh, tainting and destruction of the, of the, of the seed of men in the book of Genesis, as well as in the book of Exodus, as Pharaoh gives the command that every son of the nation of Israel should be cast into the river, keeping only the daughters alive. Or as we look into the book of Matthew chapter 2, when Herod, when he realizes that he's been deceived by the wise man, gives the command to put to death all of the male children who were in Bethlehem uh, in all its districts from two years old and under. It's why Satan moved on the heart of many others like Hitler as an example to kill millions of Jews, which we know and which we've seen. And it's why Satan has moved on a nation like America to destroy millions and millions of babies and other nations who look to America as an example have followed suit. And I think Argentina this past week was one of the, the most recent nations to adopt 
uh, or legalize uh, abortion in their country. Um, and so we see those things happening all around the world. And so the, today I'm wearing the Life Matters t-shirt, which is the ministry that we have here at the church. And we went out to the abortion clinic yesterday for our monthly outreach. We usually go on Fridays, but we went on Saturdays. And this thing happened that I have to share with you. And before I do, let me share the statistics from some of the people who go out often. There are groups that have been going out for 10 plus years, uh, and we're kind of new at it to some degree. Um, and they gave me their November statistics. So during the time that these people were there in November, because these abortions are happening all the time, but during the time they were there, they had 271 new uh, numbers of arrivals, women coming to have abortions during the time periods that they were there during the month of November, 271. Of the 271, um, they had 36 one-on-one interactions, meaning they got a chance to interact with the, with the family or the person to try to maybe deter them, or they were able to give uh, to 42 of them some type of literature um, about abortions or the adoption or um, ultrasound or just a track for the Lord Jesus Christ. They had 15 saves, meaning that they prevented the abortions. And though those were their statistics for the month of November, out of the 271, 165 of them were African-American women or 61%, which is pretty much uh, the norm whenever we go out as well um, as Abortion has been really mainstreamed at the direction of Margaret Singer first used as a tactic to destroy a segment of our country, the undesirables, she called them, and the African-American community. Now, so we went and we had um, a wonderful time, but it was a spiritual battle to get there for me as far as like for me personally from a health perspective, and I almost didn't go, but we finally went. It was a busy day. Um, a lot was going on, um, and those of us from our church, we left thinking that we saved maybe one baby, but then in the afternoon or later in the evening, I got a, a message from Mallory, who leads the ministry here at our church. Y'all see her on the announcement sometime. Mallory had received word from the other people that were there, and there, there's a group that goes all the time. There were people there from uh, Upper Room, Pastor Wooten's church in Raleigh. Um, he's one of the few African-American pastors that have been involved in this and been doing it for many years. And they sent word um, from, from ladies that would go all the time, sent word through Mallory, and I want to read it to you. It says, out, out of 21 moms who went into the clinic today, just, uh, not just one, but nine chose life, which we didn't know about. Yeah, that's good. And she says, that's right, nine. And this is the thing you got to hear. She says, I've never seen that, and neither has Sharon, the other lady. In other words, they've been doing it for all these years, and they've never seen that. That's a big deal. I want to share with you why I think that's the case. Um, she says, what a huge victory. She said that after we left, the moms, meaning after our group left, the moms and dads came out with peace and joy on their faces, stating they couldn't go through with it and chose life. In other words, when we left, there were 21 of them in there on the inside who we, and, and, and who we had some level of interaction, and nine of them walked out and kept their babies. Now, she goes on to say, even the white couple, now the reason she has to say that you got to understand, out of the 21, 19 were African-American. One was Latino, and then one was white. That's why she says it this way. So she says, even the white couple with the, the mom having a brain tumor because there were complications, which is why she was told by her doctor to get an abortion, 
um, had a brain tumor, chose life. She said that she would keep her baby even with the complications. It's amazing what happens when the Christian presence shows up, she said, and how God moves in mighty ways. Have a blessed night. So now you got to get to seeing. Remember several weeks ago when we looked at the seventh uh, bowl being poured out on the air. Y'all remember that? And it was during that time that I said that, you know, of course, Satan's the prince of the power of the air. That is do the domain in which he operates. We know that from Scripture. And so literally, God was judging that domain where he operates, I believe. And so as we look at what unfolded yesterday, because often when we're doing ministry, we can't see the results of it. And we think we're not making any kind of impact. You know, um, one person who was new out there with us broke down in tears. Um, you, know, you know, because it's overwhelming to see girls go in. Young girls, one family dropped their teenager off and left. They were going to come back and pick her up later, you know. So this is the kind of stuff that goes on. So we don't know what we're, get, what we're doing. We're out there praying. We can't go inside. If you go beyond a certain point, you can actually be arrested. So we're out there worshiping play, or singing Christmas songs, speaking to them as we can, approaching the ones who we can. And then we're standing there praying because we, we, there's nothing else that we think we can do. Yet as we're praying, God is going on the inside where we can't go and moving on the hearts of women who chose not to abort their babies. And it, it says something that, as I've always said, as we've been talking about this topic of the prince of the power of the air, is that when the church shows up, you know, because when we were praying early in the thing, my prayer particularly was that God would push back the enemy and uh, his deception and his, his area where he operates and push back and give us room. Uh, and God did that, you know. And those, so for those of you who were there, who were praying, and who you thought maybe a lot didn't happen, God did a mighty work yesterday. And that's what happened when the church shows up and we stay focused on the Lord because he's all-powerful. He's sovereign over everything. And he has the power to move things out of the way when the church shows up. You know, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And we are definitely that. Also, um, I want to announce that another new couple from our church, again, moving from New York. It's like Johnson County going to become the <laughs> little New York, li newer New York. I don't know. Um, they were down for the weekend, and they're planning to move here. They've been watching us online, and they were there with us. So, you know, that was kind of cool. Um, so it was really, really good to, to see that happen. And I want to encourage you all that there's power when we come together and pray more than we even realize and um, because the church, look, the church is the salt of the earth. The church is the light of the world. And, um, and so, and, and the other part of that is when people show up who the people who are coming can relate to. Um, we had a Latino woman from our church and a young Latino. I pray that she was one of the ones who came out. She's, you know, was there. And then for them to see African-American men out there preaching the gospel when they're trying to say that black lives matter and they're destroying pretty much mostly black lives there every day. And we're 13% of the population. I try to always to help you see that, that there's been this constant, 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 uh, if you will, um, move towards uh, destroying that segment of our population and using abortion. Um, and as a church, what we have to pray for now, because I know God will, will his will will be done, that we can be involved in um, how we help mothers who keep their child through the things that they're going through and so that we can be a, a church that can also provide, uh, whether it be discipleship or even some practical ministry towards them. And so that's something I would ask y'all to be praying about. And as we are celebrating the birth of our Lord today and this week, it's appropriate for us to have this conversation. 
Um, so continue to pray, continue to be involved, continue to support and pray for those who are going in the ministry and the work that God is doing. They said after 10 years of doing it, they've never seen that many turn. You know, that's a big percentage. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. So, oh, by the way, you can get these T-shirts from the bookstore in January when it opens back up. So now Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. Y'all doing all right? In Luke chapter 2, let's read, pray, and then we'll dive in with the time we have left. Luke chapter 2, picking it up at verse 1. If you there, say amen. amen. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be... The sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was while when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherd returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so, Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, as we uh, turn our attention to your scripture, that you would open our hearts and minds, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we do pray that you would remove all the things that hinder the distractions from this room, uh, the worries of this life from our hearts and our minds, that we may hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so as we look at verse 1, again, it says, it came to pass in those days, I always pause there because it's a kind of an understatement to some degree because of the story that's unfolding. If the Lord would allow me to add anything, I would say it came to pass in those days that the scripture might be fulfilled, which is what we're looking at here. Because as we read verse one, we could walk away from this and many in the world could walk away from this saying that this is all based upon a decree that a king made. Notice it says it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And we know uh, Caesar uh, Augustus is uh, 
uh, Julius Caesar's nephew. We know that uh, Gaius Octavian was his actual name. He was adopted by Julius Caesar to be his heir. He rose to power through some circumstances and finally comes to power as the first literal dictator and sovereign ruler over uh, the Roman Empire. He is the world uh, leader of the world empire Uh, One of the seven heads, if you will, that we've been talking about of the dragon and of the beast in the book of Revelation on our normal Sunday mornings. And so now he is the dictator and the ruler of the Roman Empire or literally the ruler over the known world. His name, uh, Augustus Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus, Augustus meaning the exalted one or the majestic one was given to him to imply deity. So in his mind, and he wanted his people to believe that he is, if you will, a God. And of course, the Caesars were uh, considered gods, and uh, Caesar worship became a part of the Roman Empire, which, remember, is one of the distinct things of all of those seven empires which roll up into this Babylonian system that we've been talking about in the book of Revelation. You must worship the emperor at some point. We saw that in Babylon. If you didn't worship Caesar, you couldn't participate fully in society as we've been talking about. And so he considered himself and many considered himself a deity, if you will. So to some extent, the world would, you know, and people could read this and assume that it's because this world ruler has made this decree that all of these things unfolded the way they did. But the issue is as a person who is living and walking by faith, who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is spirit-filled and who understands the scripture, we know that this has absolutely nothing to do with the decree from a guy named Caesar Augustus. It didn't take place for that reason. It actually took place because the word of God was spoken by the prophets in times past, in particular by Micah in Micah chapter 2, when he prophesied concerning the fact that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 on the screen says, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and everlasting. He will come forth and be ruler, but he is ancient, if you will. He is eternal, and he is sovereign, and he must be born in Bethlehem. We know that even in John chapter 7, verse 42, the scriptures of the New Testament um, point this out where it says, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? And so this is what we wrestle with and we come to faith and belief in as believers. Is it, listen, Is it that God is making things happen and moving things around because of what's going on in the world in order to get his purpose done? That could be one way of looking at it. Or is it, in fact, that because God has already said in his world that this is what it will be, that all things then flow in the direction of the fulfillment of Scripture no matter what? And I like that part. 
And the Bible even says, and it hints towards this when it says that, and all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are calling according to his purpose. In other words, things move in that direction um, because of God's purpose and plan, even for me individually and for you. Well, likewise in the world, everything must flow in the direction of what God has already said in his word, which is alive and sovereign. God says heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle for my word will by any means not be fulfilled. I'm paraphrasing, but this is what the scripture tells us. So when God speaks it, it's pretty much a done thing, and I like that. That means I can trust it, and I can take him at his word, and what's in Scripture, and even as it relates to me, must be fulfilled. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, even so, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when, notice, the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as of sons. So even though, listen, even though we can look at this in various ways, the point is when the fullness of time come, when God saw, listen, when all things lined up according to what God had already said, then Jesus came into the world to fulfill that which was already spoken of about him. Even Paul points out in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, where he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. And so therefore, understanding all those scriptures, it then brings us to the understanding that whether Caesar Augustus or Donald J. Trump, I believe, or Joe, forget his middle name, Biden, none of it actually matters. It doesn't matter who the leader of the Communist China Party is. It doesn't matter who's leading Russia. It doesn't matter any of this stuff. God is completely in control, and everything must happen exactly the way that he's already ordained for it to be. And if we as believers could understand that and just believe that and stay with it and focus on it, then we can then focus on what we need to do, uh, as the Bible says, redeeming the time for the days are evil, that as we who have been given the ministry of reconciliation go into the world, we're pushing back the cloud of darkness, which which is deceiving people and destroying lives. And the book of Daniel says this concerning those who rule the world. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, Daniel, he says this, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. In other words, God is in control of it. We vote and we can let it go, but God is in control of it. But we need to hear this in 2020 because of all the craziness that's going on. Daniel says God's the one that does it all. He also says in chapter 4, it goes on to say in the book of Daniel, this decision is of the decree of the watchers. And he says, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know, this is what they need to know, that the most high, that's God, rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he will and sets over it. The, low, uh, the lowest of men, meaning that God can put over who he wants, and sometimes it's the lowest of men in various ways that might be, but he is doing it for his own purpose and his own plan. You know, Israel was supposed to receive a king after God's own heart named David, and they did eventually, but because they wanted a king like the other nations, he gave them Saul first, which is a wicked king. So God is in control and he causes these things to happen and line up according to his eternal plan and purposes. 
And so because we're not citizens of this world to begin with, we need to focus on the kingdom that we are from and which is a heavenly kingdom, which even as we saw displayed at the abortion clinic yesterday, has power over this junk down here. The Bible says, you know, Jesus says that upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When the church shows up in, in the spirit and in truth, that's a powerful thing. And the enemy can't even stand against it. He can do nothing against the church. The church shall never be defeated by Satan, period. And then, and then we'll be raptured out of here one day. And so we got to live our lives with that understanding, you know. So then we look at this. So this Caesar makes a decree, and it just doesn't even matter. It's history. It's only being mentioned here by Luke to be able to, to tie it to a point in history, which is recorded even in secular history. And that's the point he's making even in verse 2. He says this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, of which they used to, our critics, say, well, this can't be right because it didn't line up right. But when they further looked into history, they found that Quirinius was governing that region twice, and it lines up perfectly. You can do your own research in that. And so you can point this to time, Luke recording it and making these time stamps so that we can see how it lines up in secular history. But the point is God was bringing his son into the world. And see, as we look at this and we continue in verse 3, notice it says, And all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And, uh, and, and so it says, and Joseph, verse 4, also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and he was of the lineage, the house and the lineage of David. And so now Joseph, because this decree has been made, is now going to travel from Nazareth, which is of the Galilean region, which I believe is the north and west part of the Galilee, all the way down to Judea, which is which a region south of Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is about an 80-mile track that he is traveling with his wife, who is now pregnant. And they are going down, notice it says, to the city of David. And when we look at that, we think about it in modern terms, because right now the city of David is considered that part of Jerusalem, which is the, kind of the old city, but it's south, if you will, of the Temple Mount. But here the Bible is telling us that the city of David is in Bethlehem because it's Bethlehem where David is from through Jesse all the way back to Boaz. We find in Scripture it's named the house of David because it would be the place where Messiah would come from. And that promise was made to come through the lineage of David, who is of the tribe of Judah. And so... It's interesting to be able to even fathom that because when we think about that verse, we see the utmost ultimate sovereignty of God again, not just his sovereignty to say that these things would take place and in the fullness of time they did, but to say that they must take place in Bethlehem and that the Messiah must come from, from uh, the tribe of Judah and then God promised that it would be through the lineage of David. And so when we look at this verse, it blows our mind because now you would almost think God would have an issue. He's got to have this baby born in Bethlehem, but his parents live in Galilee. And so he has this kings to some degree make a decree and brings them down there. But you got to think about it like this. Here's the sovereignty. In the Roman Empire and in the ancient world and in the Middle East and even within the Jewish culture, it would be 
of the man's lineage that you would have to go through to, to do any kind of legal transaction. And so only through Joseph would it matter where they would go to register and pay this tax. And so therefore, God gave, if you will, the woman who would give birth to the son, a husband who was of the lineage of David. Matthew, actually, in Matthew chapter 1, you can go look at it, records the, the, uh, uh, the lineage of um, or the uh, genealogy of Jesus back through Joseph and tying him back to the tribe of Judah and of a descendant of David. And it's through Joseph that they legally have to go back to Bethlehem. But because God had promised that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David, he also made sure Mary herself was of the lineage of David. So the bloodline of Jesus would run back to David through Mary. And Luke records the genealogy back through Mary. All of this happening, and as we think about it, and we think about all that had to line up, it proves and it shows us the absolute amazing sovereignty of God and detail of God. When he speaks, it comes to pass, and it doesn't waver from that. And so they go to Bethlehem. Notice it says, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife. Think about this for a moment. He is betrothed to this woman, but before they are actually married, she's found pregnant. And what is the betrothal? Well, the betrothal period is very, very interesting. It's where the husband and wife will come together. They've been, if you will, arranged by their parents most often. And the engagement has a little ceremony tied to it. And they would have a little ceremony where they're actually making their promises with one another. And they would share a drink together. And then they would say that they wouldn't share that drink together again until the wedding feast would happen. Jesus picks up on all of this when he deals with the church and the gospels. Y'all know that because Jesus said to the church when he was instituting the new covenant in his blood and what we call the last supper or the communion feast he said to his disciples I will not drink this again with you until I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom Jesus said to the church I'm betrothed to you now and we won't do this again until uh, I blow the trumpet and catch all of you up in the air and we ride off into my father's kingdom and we gather there together and then we will have our next drink together. He was giving them this symbolism, if you will, even in how he deals with the church. It's such a beautiful picture. And so here as we look at this, Joseph and Mary were betrothed to one another. But before they were married, she was pregnant. This young woman, probably a teenager, is now pregnant. And so because of this, she probably has lost her friends. Think about it, teenage girls in the room. She's lost her friends. Many of them probably don't believe that she's actually still a virgin and that she didn't have an adulterous affair. Uh, her parents, maybe family and friends and uncles and aunts and aunt, grandparents and parents have uh, turned their back on her. This is a, a Jewish family. And so notice the verse 5 again, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. There's, according to the law, a stoning ceremony appropriately that should be happening with this young woman's wife. And Joseph doesn't even believe her, which is why in Matthew chapter 1, the angel shows up and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, as he's thinking about how he should put her away or whether he should and what should I do. But he's an honorable man. And so God sends the angel to, to talk with him and say that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he will save his people from his sins. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, Joseph being a good Jewish man, understanding the, the, the Masonic 
undertones there are that this child is to be the Messiah. So he, in an honorable way, keeps this woman as his wife because God chose him because God always chooses the right man for you ladies. I just want to say that. Young ladies, God chooses best. And so they're making this journey. He's decided to keep his wife. This young woman has decided to, to go on this journey as, as, the, as she realizes she's a godly young lady. When she realized that, that the Holy Spirit was coming upon her and the angel says, you know, you're going you're gonna to conceive and bring forth a child. And, and she says, how can this be? I've never known a man. And the angel explains that to her. And she understands the, the, the Masonic undertones in that as well, that she would be bringing forth Messiah. So what's happening, listen, is according to the word of God to him and her. This first Christmas story is of a couple who's traveling 80 miles during a pregnancy on faith because of what God said together. And it's such a beautiful thing to even begin to fathom because every year I think about that as I spend time with my own family as believers that we're taking this journey by faith and belief of the Son of God who was born in the world to save us of our sin. And that's what this beautiful story is all about, the journey of faith and belief of what God did in such a miraculous way. And maybe you think about this and you ponder this story and you realize the, the magnitude of what's going on as this first, first Christmas story. These two people were living a life nothing like what they expected. You know, they had hopes of a wonderful wedding feast ceremony where Mary's father would spend all of this money and throw this big feast and her, 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 her bride, uh, bridesmaids and her mother and everybody would be involved in this thing. And it would be a beautiful, beautiful event. And, and Joseph was building a place for them to live. And all of this stuff was happening. And that was all destroyed in their minds. It's not what they wanted it to be or what they thought it was going to be. But it's going to be bigger than what they ever imagined because it's the plan of God. And maybe 2020 has left you hopeless and it ain't things haven't gone the way you thought it was going to be. And, you know, and, and, you, and you've had a lot of heartache and some things have happened. But the plan of God is always bigger than what we think. And so they make this journey there. And notice in verse six, it says, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered it's time now. So verse 7, a beautiful verse says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. It's very interesting when you begin to think about this. It, the time, verse 6 says, So it was that the days were completed for her to be delivered. And I often think about this, how we plan things out and make our own plans. What if Joseph had said, Hey, let's travel early. Let's go down a month early. You know, that wouldn't have worked out. You know, let's get down a month early. We can get back in time. No, no, no. It all worked out perfectly the way God planned. So they would be there at the very time they needed to be. And it says in verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn child. Now, every time I read that, it draws my mind to some things and some, even some stories I've heard. Because there's nothing in this that would hint that she had support. There's no, nothing in this story that would hint that she had a medical team or a midwife. As you read it, it would seem that that's not place, uh, present here. 
says she brought forth. Was she alone when Jesus was born? Was Joseph running around trying to get some stuff for them, you know, because of the situation they're in? Was he present? What was going on? What was that like? Was Mary afraid? I always remember the story when we were in Nigeria. Um, there was, uh, we were at a church on a Sunday morning in Edo State, city of, uh, or town of, or village of Urumi, um, there in Nigeria at a church. And they said, Pastor Kevin, uh, we're having a baby dedication. We want you to dedicate the baby. And see, there's no, there's no mention of abortion over there. And let me tell you what they do. I said, yeah, I love to celebrate a baby. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to do like what we do. Well, no, you, you, we all had to get up and walk out of the church. I don't know if you've heard this story before. And what you do is you sing and dance in a line back into the church because you're celebrating this new life that this family has. And so then the husband and the wife stand before the church and they tell their testimony and give God thanks. And then everybody gets up and they sing and dance again as everybody comes down the aisle and draw and lay gifts at their feet because they got a brand new life in their house. So it's a celebration of life. And so when this couple was telling their testimony together, it was a beautiful testimony because what happened is the, the lady went into pregnancy earlier than they thought. And so they went to the hospital and at the hospital, Nigeria also is a very corrupt country. And so because they didn't have all the money, they didn't help her. But they put her in a room because the husband says he was going to go get the money. And so he's running around trying to get the last bit of the money he needs, probably trying to beg or borrow it from friends and family members or whatever, or get a, you know, whatever, get something from his boss or whatever, trying to get the money. Meanwhile, she's in a room by herself, and it's not a room like what we have. I mean, Wake Med gives you sweets. You know, it's like a suite, and I go to visit y'all when y'all have babies, and it's crazy, man. The, the husbands, y'all know how it is. We got the stock fridge down the hall, you know, they bringing food. I mean, it's really nice at Wake Man, you know. No, 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 no. She was in a room by herself on a table, and she was afraid, and she was crying out to Jesus, and she had to give birth all by herself because he didn't get back with the money in time. And she said that she was crying out to the Lord and she felt his presence in the room with her. She said he was with me as she gave birth to her child by herself. But the Lord was with her. And I think about this story of Mary here. What was it like for her? Was she afraid? What, what was she going through? We don't know. But she brought forth her firstborn son. This was not what she expected to happen. But she would be a blessed woman for all eternity. And he wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And when you complete the scene here, listen, the scene is this. They would have these little places because they were a very hospitable culture in the Middle East during that time, of course, and, and even today to some degree. And they would have these inns, these places where the caravans and the travelers would stop and stay. Of course, going into that region, there would always be travel because of all the mandatory feasts where people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so they would have these places where they would, people would stop and they could stay. But they also had courtyards where there was a fire. There was, there was usually maybe some water, maybe a well where they could get drinks for the animals. And they had these stalls where they could put the animals, Okay. And it seems as though there was no room in the inn, so they were in one of the stalls where normally the animals would be. So they're out there where the animals are, and it says that they put the baby, our Lord, in a manger, and that's not a nice fluffy bassinet. In fact, that manger is a feeding trough for the animals that Joseph would have cleaned out 
which was probably made out of concrete, possibly wood, but most likely concrete, which Joseph would have had to clean out and put something soft in and cover it because this is where that they would lay their son, our Lord Jesus. Because there was no room in the end because the world, listen, the world was not prepared for the coming of its Savior then as the world is not prepared for his return. And this is the situation in the times that we live in now. And so this is the scene in which this first Christmas story unfolds. Yet in this scene, it sets up such a beautiful thing that's going to happen as we got to wrap this up. Notice in verse 8, it says, now that we're in the same country, shepherds living in the field. So the story shifts to these guys, shepherds, who were considered outcasts in those days and not looked favorably on because often they were considered dirty. They were considered thieves. They were considered lowlifes. Some suggest that maybe these are the temple, the shepherds that kept the flocks for the temple for the, for the uh, daily sacrifices. That could be. But the thing that you need to understand is that these are, if you will, the working class, if you're the low class in people's minds in this time. And so it's them that are out in the field. And it says that they're keeping watch of these flocks by night. And while they're doing that, notice, behold, an angel shone before them and glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. They were overwhelmed with this presence all of a sudden in the middle of the night when these angels show up. It's very interesting how these uh, false teachers and prophets today, they see angels all the time or they, they see the Lord Jesus, but they're never afraid. You know, they got their false teachings. But no, every time we see somebody see them in the Bible, they're overwhelmed with it. They're fainting. They're passing out. They're afraid as these guys are in the middle of this field. And it says in verse 10, and the angel said to them, listen, don't be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings and great joy, which will be to notice all people starting with these shepherds. For there is born notice to you, shepherds, to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. These shepherds are the first to receive this message, and they will become the first evangelists. And it's very interesting as you think about this for a moment. Our Lord Jesus, because he was God incarnate, because he came from heaven to earth, could have been born in a palace. You, you know that. He could have been born anywhere he wanted to be born. But he was born in a stall in Bethlehem on this cold night. And these shepherds are, are, are told this story first. And they come and they see him and they become the first evangelist. And because of where he was born, listen, they had access to him. And I want to just simply say this, that the beauty of this is that Jesus placed himself in a position where the lowest within the society would have access to him because this is what his heart's desire is, that let whosoever will come. That's what the gospel message is all about. That's why when we see his death on the cross, the veil in the temple is ripped from top to bottom. It was very high and very thick. And being ripped from top to bottom shows us it was not ripped by man, but it was ripped by the hand of God because what he was saying, because when it was ripped, it exposed the holy place. And what that meant is no longer would man be separated from God and only able to come to him through the priestly system of earth. What that says is that now every human being 
of every status has access to God through the only priest and high priest who is Jesus Christ himself. And that's why the gospel says, let whosoever will come. So those who would not have access in certain parts of town and definitely not in the palace or any upscale level of society like these shepherds would not have had access, but they had access and they were able to go and they would see him. And everyone in this world now has access. And we have been given a ministry of reconciliation as if God is in us pleading with the world, be reconciled to him. That's what we're all called to be and do with the time that we have left on this earth. And so it says here, for that which is born to you this day, I love that, in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now remember, that's what's told to them. Remember that. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with them uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts. That means a number we can't even imagine. So first of all, you got an angel giving this message to these guys out in the middle of the dark, right? Okay. And that's bright. This one angel. Next thing you know, it's complete light show as the whole countryside to them would have lit up with angels that they couldn't even count saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to all men. I imagine that this blew their mind. And verse 15 said, so it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, notice, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, notice verse 17, they made widely known the sand which was told to them concerning the child. Now, look, the wise men show up a year and a half later, two years later, whatever the case may be, with the stuff, the, 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 the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, right? We know that. Stuff that was very costly, which represented his, his three aspects of his ministry, right? His priestly ministry, his, the fact that he is king, gold, and then the, the myrrh because he was going to die, okay, as the sacrifice. So he's both the, he's the sacrifice, he's the high priest administering the sacrifice, and he's king, okay. So they show up later, and their gifts finance the trip to Egypt and back. But first, it's just the shepherds, just some folks that need to know the Savior's here. And so notice this. It says, now they saw him. They made widely known, listen, the sand which was told them concerning the child. They didn't make just known what they saw. They began to, if you will, proclaim the gospel truth. Well, what was made known to them by the angel? Well, the angel said to them in verse 10, you know, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Their message was Messiah has been born to us today in Bethlehem, and we need to be excited. That's what their message was. They proclaimed the gospel, basically. Amen. Yeah. And so now that we know him personally, we proclaim the gospel, you know, and God is good. And I want to encourage you with what happened at the, at the uh, abortion clinic yesterday. You don't have to be a, a, a scholar. You just got to be genuinely believing in faith what you're sharing, what your own testimony is with others and praying. And your prayer is so powerful that God can go places that you can't and he can save people that you never thought would be saved. God has the ability to do that. Now, it says here, and those who heard it marveled, verse 18, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They marveled 
for two reasons. Number one, the message was overwhelming. Could this be Messiah's here? And number two, it's shepherds that's the one proclaiming it, you know? It ain't like the, the people who, who they would think. It ain't the Pharisees who are very wealthy and very prideful and wicked, okay? It wasn't the priests who were corrupt, ripping people off at the temple. You know, it wasn't people from the palace who wouldn't give the time of day to half the folks in Bethlehem. It was shepherds who were amazing people with their message of that Messiah was here. Common folk taking the message to common folk. Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And of course, we know that Mary had heard a lot at this point. She had been through a lot. And she was encouraged by the, by the shepherds showing up with, hey, these angels told us and they sent us. And this was helpful for her because of everything she was going through, a little confirmation. And she pondered these things all the way through her life as she saw her son grow, as she noticed the miracles, as she understood his understanding of Scripture, as she saw him amazing the, the priests in the temple when he was 12 and they lost him. And when she saw him begin his ministry, and there were times when she wondered, there were times when she was wondering what was going on, but she pondered all right up to the day when he was on the cross and she pondered right up into the time when she realized he was alive again and that's why she was present at Pentecost in the room with the rest of the church sitting down praying to her son and would she receive salvation through faith in him herself when the church began and so now she is our sister in heaven who will know one day and so then in verse 20, it says, then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and was told to them. And so I encourage you now as we end here for today that on uh, this coming Friday morning in your home, and of course, we'll be here for Christmas Eve and the kids and, and doing some worship and they'll be doing this story as well. But I want to encourage you that you should, before you do anything on Friday morning, before you give any respect to gifts and before you eat your food, that husbands and fathers, if there's a husband and father or ladies, if there is no husband and father, that you gather whoever's there and you open the scriptures and you read some aspect of the Christmas story and you pray and give thanks to the Lord, our Savior that morning. That's what we should do in our homes. And then you enjoy all the stuff. Then the kids can rip everything apart, you know. Um, and look, don't make the story too long because the kids are distracted already, okay. So you got to keep it reasonably, you know, short. You got to get them to be quiet and then, you know, and then, then they'll rip all the stuff apart and whatever, whatever happens, happens. But make it about Jesus as much as possible. My kids... Um, They've never, well, I, well, you know, it's a Christian church. If you get mad at me, that's on you. you my kids have never believed in Santa because we never talked about him, right? So they didn't, they've never even thought. My son made an old lady mad when he was, you know, in the part of the shopping cart where the kids sit? That's how young he was. He was sitting in that, and <laughs> he argued with this old lady about the fact that there was no Santa. Um, <laughs> the, point, the point is, the point is, um, we always made it about Jesus. Hey, all of this is because of his love for us. That's why we're, we're, we're having such a wonderful day. That's why you, we have stuff. You know, I just credit Jesus with the gifts. That's what I want to be able to do. He is our gift, and I want everything that we get our kids to know it came from him. Yeah, dad's working hard. Dad's believing in Jesus, and Jesus providing stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's all about Jesus. Let's not ever make it about something else. And if, if I hurt anybody's feelings today, you can come and talk to me about it. Um, I'm used to it at this point. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord God, because you love us. 
You sent your son as the gift, the only gift worth remembering and worth being so thankful for. And I pray that as we leave this place today, you would remind us of that constantly, Lord God, and let us um, constantly lift you up and worship you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now through the rest of this day, throughout this week. Lord, continue to protect us um, from, the, from the virus. Lord, let us love one another, meet one another where we are, remember the things that we're trying to do just to protect one another's safety for this time. But we do love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.